Let's open our Bibles to where Paul was reading earlier, Galatians chapter 1. We made it through the first nine verses last week. I've entitled the message this morning, Perilous Times. And um, as we get into our study this morning, um, I am going to touch on some of the current events that are um, transpiring, even as we speak. I'll be reading an article from Mary Siegel that he wrote yesterday, shortly. But as we look at these chapters one and two, um, remember the problem that Paul had with the Corinthian church. Um, He had to write this letter uh, because it was a guy in a church that was sleeping around. Everybody knew about it. Nobody was doing anything about it. So they wrote a letter to Paul. Paul says, look, I'm not even there, but I'm going to tell you what to do. You get a hold of this guy and you kick him out because he's coming to church. He thinks everything's fine. He's going to heaven. And then he goes on to say a little leaven leavens a whole lump. And it was having an effect of indifference. Now, Corinth, I want to remind you, is um, unique with this immorality. Remember, um, they had the thousand temple prostitutes to Aphrodite, and they would come down. And um, I don't know if I mentioned this in the Bible study last week or not, but somebody asked me the question about um, heads being shaved, why, why the woman's had their head covering, you know, in 1 Corinthians 11, I alluded to it. And I said, well, I'm not for sure, but I, I bet you it's cultural and it's local to the Corinthian church because I don't see it mentioned anywhere else in the scriptures. So I thought, well, I wonder what J. Vernon McGee has to say about it. So I pulled out um, McGee and I started reading. And he said the reason that um, the girls uh, would have their heads shaven or not shaved is a way that you could distinguish a prostitute to Aphrodite was she had no hair. And I thought, well, that makes perfect sense. And uh, it, it answered the question. You don't find it anywhere else in the scriptures. So I'm making the point that the Corinthians were very immoral. They were very wealthy, 700,000 people. Two-thirds of the people were slaves. And um, so when they got this letter from Paul, he said, kick the guy out. And they did. And the majority of the people, Titus brought back a report. They said they did exactly what you asked them to do, except there's this handful, this minority group of people who are pretty uppity, and they don't like the idea of you using your authority as an apostle by telling them to do and what to, how to do it. And um, that was a problem. And most of the writing of Second Corinthians is dealing with Paul going after point after point after point of why he is really nothing, but he is an apostle and he speaks with the authority of God as an apostle. But he also makes it very clear that he himself was nobody. Matter of fact, Paul considered himself the chiefest of sinners. So as we get through Second uh, Corinthians, that was the problem there. It was a moral one. But now when we get to Galatians, um, if you go to verse six, I'll come back to it, He gives the introduction in the first four verses. But he says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. The book of Galatians is, uh, first of all, Galatia is like a state. And it says here, to the churches in Galatia. So Galatia is just a country but he's writing to the churches that are in Galatia. The problem here is a doctrinal one and not a moral one. What was happening is there was these group 
called Judaizers. And wherever Paul went, and we put up maps and showed his first, second, and third missionary journeys and everywhere he went. And um, these Judaizers would follow Paul around. And um, after Paul would get done speaking, the Judaizers would come in and they said, did Paul preach the gospel? He goes, well, yeah, he preached the gospel. And he says, that's good. Um, Paul's right about the gospel. But you must keep the law in order to be saved. And that is adding something to when Jesus said, it is finished, period. And you can't add anything to the finished work of Calvary. Good place for an amen. You can't add anything to it. So this is actually going to become an issue between Paul and Peter in the coming weeks. Um, Paul's going to call Peter out on this issue. Not that he had accepted the the doctrine. Well, that's a different Bible study. I better let that one go. (laughs) And, uh, but this morning, uh, they were telling the people, believe the gospel, but you have to keep the law also in order to be saved. So just as a little bit of a background, this is the issue that Paul is dealing with in in the churches in Galatia. Uh, This morning I'd like to look at three different things. Number one, current events showing the lateness of the hour. Number two, we're gonna give you a timeline um, that explains chapters one and two because Paul's gonna talk about all these places that he went. He's gonna mention a period of time in Arabia. He's gonna, the first verse of chapter two says after 14 years. What I have here is a, a timeline and I'm actually going to, it's only a couple pages long, so I'm actually gonna talk about from the time that he persecuted Stephen, who was the first martyr, how he got saved on the road to Damascus and uh, actually go through because most of chapter one and chapter two is him talking about where he went uh, with who and what, which missionary journey he was on in that particular case. And then finally, number three, I want to talk about um, remembering the poor. That's how this chapter two ends where Paul says, um, Remember the poor. And I want to give you an update um, about what's going on in Calvary Chapel Carday and um, just how bad things really are down there. That's why I asked Paul um, to make an announcement this morning so that if you can help out, we'll be taking a special collection um, next week. I've called this perilous time, so would you turn with me in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 3. And we're looking at verses 1 through one through 4. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. That's where we get the title for the message. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, Boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, openly protesting on College Avenue about Roe v. Wade. Oh, no, that's not in there. We got these 15-year ago girls out there just going wacko. And uh, the guys, some of the guys actually drove by and just showed just how crazy they were and how excited they were when people would give them a thumbs up and they'd get really, really upset if somebody gave them um, a thumbs down. But you you know what that's really all about? You were created with the purpose of having a cause and a meaning in your life. Romans 8 said that we have, we have a void. Every person born has a void, and it's longing to be filled. 
It's longing to have something to say I'm living for something and my life has meaning because of that fact. Well, for you and I as believers, once you meet the Lord, you found what you're here for. But what if you don't know the Lord? You're still looking for a cause. You're still looking to get involved with something. And that's what I think is happening with a lot of this. They they found this bandwagon that they can jump on. And... um, um, I'll just leave, leave it at that, but this describes the generation that we're living in today. Um, when it talks about um, lovers of money more than lovers of God, headstrong. Um, if this doesn't describe the state of our country today, I really don't know what does. From here, I want to jump over to the book of Revelation chapter 6. And as you're turning, I want to make something perfectly clear. <clears throat> Excuse me. Still struggling a little bit with the allergies. Um, the verses that I'm about to read take place after the rapture of the church. I've got to make that real clear here. But the reason I'm going here is the things that we're seeing happening right now are, I call them predecessors. These things are happening right now, but we're still here. So we can't be in a tribulation. Are we all clear on that? Okay, so let's get into it. Revelation chapter 6, verses, well, let's pick it up here in verse 3. Of course, the rider on a white horse is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. I mean, the... um, um, uh, the Antichrist, and um, and the th- second seal says, when he opened the second seal, I, I heard the second living creature saying, come and see, and another horse, fiery red, went out, and it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace away from the earth, and that people should kill one another And there was given to him a great sword. I have an article that I'm going to read very short. It comes from Barry Siegel. This was written yesterday, okay? So that's how current it is. It falls under the category of wars and rumors of wars all over the world. I know Barry personally, stayed at his house. He has a nationwide uh, television show uh, in Jerusalem. And um, so this is yesterday. The title is, Iran is ready, we must be too. Uh, And his first statement is, we are on the premises of war with trains that drive by and interrupt my message. Southern Israel has been plummeted with over 20,000 incoming rockets of various strengths in the last 14 years. This does not include the northern border. Recently, Iran has begun disconnecting almost all security monitoring cameras so that it can no longer view Iran's nuclear facility. Hezbollah, the proxy army of Iran, is known to have at least 150,000 rockets stored all over in Lebanon to be used against Israel. Countless people could die or be wounded if they succeed. We know that Iran has enriched uranium to nearly 90%, 18 times more than what was agreed upon, and it is only days or weeks away from the necessary ingredient for nuclear bombs. Because of the hostility from countries like Iran, Israel is now training and preparing for a multi-front war scenario. Every branch of the Israeli Defense Forces, the IDF, just completed over one month of strategic training. The largest military exercises in Israel's history are taking place as I'm speaking here this morning. This includes civil defense, 
the emergency ambulance service, hospitals, training, even took place on the nearby Mediterranean island and simulated attacks on nuclear, Iran's nuclear <clears throat> facility over the Mediterranean Sea. This is an all-hands-on-deck situation. On June 13th and 14th, we worked with the IDF to scout potential sites for placing another 40 mobile safety shelters, which will complete a total of 100 safety mobile shelters. We looked for the public areas in the cities, uh, villages and towns that are vulnerable to incoming rocket fire from terrorist groups such as Hamas in the Gaza Strip. These mobile shelters are being provided and facilitated through the work and ministry of Visions for Israel. This is an urgent call, and this is all in capital letters now, this is an urgent call to all of our partners and friends to mobilize. The requests coming in are to place hundreds of more bomb shelters, order more abundant ambulances and emergency vehicles, and provide the necessary medical kits for the doctors in the field. Let us all set a kingdom example as people of great faith. Thousands of people will potentially die if Iran succeeds with her plans for Israel's destruction. Your prayers and financial gifts are necessary to overcome our enemy. We need your help more than ever. Uh, please give freely. Maybe the Lord bless you and keep you during these challenging times. Your friend, Barry, and his wife and the VFI team. Um, the reason I read this is this is yesterday. And that's how Israel's preparing. I put it under the category where Jesus said that this time you're going to hear of wars. And what else? Rumors of wars. Does this sound like a rumor of war to you? Sure does to me. Uh, along that same track, <clears throat> um, we sort of have the perfect storm uh, developing right now. Um, the, one of the big things that is complicated because it involves um, Russia and Ukrainian war. So everything you watch with David Muir <laughs> and any American news, what they're saying, pretty much believe just the opposite, okay? Because um, we're the ones, the United States, that has provoked Russia into this war. We put in, we got rid of their um, elected president in Ukraine in 2014. We put in a puppet government. Zelensky, he's a comedian. That's what he does for a living. He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. He's only following orders. Um, I could get really sidetracked here to show just the emotion that Russia has because when we talk about Zelensky, um, he's a Nazi. And the people that are in leadership positions in Ukraine are all Nazis. They have one city completely surrounded right now. And uh, the Russians will give them an opportunity to surrender. But if they do, the Nazis who are in charge and position will shoot them in the back. And they're killing their own people. So what do you hear about, and I know what I'm saying now is extremely controversial, but do your own homework. Um, what has just happened as a result of this is there's a place um, called Kaliningrad, Kaliningrad. That would be equivalent to what Alaska is to the United States of America but it's not connected to the lower 48. Kaliningrad is south of Luthia, um, Lithuania, okay? So we have um, Russia, Lithuania, Kaliningrad. Now, they're all Russians. It's a Russian state. And what Lithuania did is they have to have, they have one means in. It's a railroad 
track. And what they did is they blocked it off. No more transportation, no more trains, no more food. I saw pictures on TV of people in Kaliningrad um, uh, just cleaning out grocery stores. And um, in the last week, we found um, intelligence from Lithuania, thank you. Um, I hate senior moments. The more senior you get, the more senior they become. (laughs) So what happened is they they found these high-level trained um, Lithuanian um, fighting, literally, in Ukraine against Russians, and they caught them. And as a result of this, um, what Russia has done with uh, uh, Belarus is um, planning and giving an ultimatum to Lithuania, (laughs) saying either you unblock the blockade or there will be no more Lithuania. And what we'll do, we'll give half of it to Belgrade, and we'll give the other half to um, Kaliningrad, and you will cease to exist. And he went on to say on Russian national TV that if you invoke Article 5, is everybody with me with Article 5? Lithuania is a NATO nation. And what Article 5 is, if Russia would attack any NATO nation, the rest of NATO is required to fight with them. So what they've announced on Russian TV is if you invoke Article 5, we will go to every major city on a first strike basis, and you just got World War III. This is what they're talking about over national this is something you can Google and, and um, just look up for yourself. My friends, we're talking nuclear war. And we're talking wars and rumors of wars. Putin made it very clear, if any other NATO nation gets involved with Russia, you've crossed the red line. And uh, we will not toler- tolerate that in any way, shape, or form. So I, I find out what's going on right there very, very interesting um, that this country might no longer exist. So um, that's one of uh, the perilous points that I want to talk about. Turn with me to um, the third seal of Revelation 6, verse 5. And he opened the third seal. I heard the third living creature saying, come and see. And I looked and behold, a black horse and he who sat in it had a pair of scales in his hands. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for denaries and three quarts of barley for denaries and do not hurt the oil and the wine. If I've heard it once, I heard it a, a thousand times that where we put ourselves so much in an inflationary move, printing trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars to the point that, and they actually say this, and they're not Christians, it would take a wheelbarrow full of money to buy a loaf of bread. And they're, they're not quoting the Bible. They don't even know the Lord. But they see what is happening here is this inflation, I personally have the conviction that we have to have this war in order for the globalists to stay in power. And um, when, when we talk about uh, the globalists, um, this is going to sound a little strange, but um, bear with me as I, I talk my way th- through this. We find two things going on here. We find people that have no money and it says, do not hurt the, uh, or harm the oil or the wine. So you have the very, very rich and the very, very poor. How many times have you heard you're going to own nothing and be happy about it anyway? 
And that's what they're trying to precondition us to. Gary Kahn had a, <coughs> excuse me, a great program on it this week and uh, talking about the one world order and um, um, how, how quickly this is all coming together. Um, here, when he opened the fourth seal, well, let me camp out a little bit. No, let's read the fourth seal. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the four living creatures saying, come and see. And behold, a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was death and hell, followed him. And power was given to him over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and the beasts of the earth. In Matthew 24, Jesus said there'd be wars, rumors of wars, pestilences. And we have two classes of people here. Um, and the globalists who have to maintain um, their power. They have, have absolutely no conscience whatsoever. I not only believe that they are evil, but I believe they are demon-possessed. One-third of Jesus' ministry was casting demons out of people. And when I say I see predecessors leading up to what's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation, the point I'm trying to make is just how late is it? And the answer is it's really late. But just turn the page to chapter 9 to what I call the strangest chapter in the Bible. The Bible says that the devil has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants all of mankind dead. Adam and Eve forfeited planet Earth to him. What, what does the Bible teach? Who, who is the God of this world? Satan is the God of this world. And now, he's gathering around him as the time is getting closer, this group of people that I completely believe are demon-possessed. Now look at chapter nine. What happens? The fifth angel opened, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the bottomless pit to give a key to the bottomless pit. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass or the earth or any green thing, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and not find it. They will desire to die, and death will, um, and death will flee from them. And what we have here is, uh, demon- um, it tells us in Jude that some of these demons have been reserved in darkness until the day of judgment. And so what we have here is this demonic explosion taking place in the middle of the tribulation. But what I see happening right now is I believe that um, um, people that are bringing about this great global reset, I believe they're demonically possessed. I believe they have no soul, no heart. And uh, their desire is to kill uh, any way possible. One of the main things that's very controversial to talk about is uh, um, the vaccine and taking the jab and its real purpose. You don't have to do much homework to find out that there was a patent on, on the vaccine itself um, before they came out, even with the name COVID-19. And... Um, do your own homework at that. It's not a vaccine. It's, it's not a, a what is terminology, um, saline solution that they put in. 
but it's actually a DNA-altering mechanism that is slowly deteriorating your immune system. And with it, the only reason I give this credence is they're saying that they could kill up to 2 billion people by injecting the world. They have to have a world crisis. Why do I give it credibility? Well, when you go back to chapter 6, and it talks in the fourth seal that one quarter of the Earth's population is destroyed. Earth's population right now? Eight billion. What's one quarter of eight billion? Two billion. What does it call for here? Two billion people being destroyed. Coincidence? Maybe. I, I don't think so. But I see again us heading in that direction. Inflation. I see the, excuse me, the financial collapse of our economy probably this year. Remember I warned you ahead of time, we're talking, the name of it was called Perilous Times. That's how fast uh, the Titanic is going down. Matter of fact, Warren Smith just wrote a book about the very things we're talking about, about the Titanic. Defunding police. Well, that's, that's pretty smart of our politicians to do. And what does that create? Lawlessness. What does the Bible teach about lawlessness in the last days? You can go into any store you want to in California, loot it, and walk out because they're not going to arrest you. And then we have, um, we were in men's prayer yesterday, um, and it was basically um, God bringing judgment on Israel speaking through Hosea and um, we got to this one verse it's God bringing judgment on Israel because the ten northern tribes were completely immoral and God said he was going to bring judgment upon them well I don't believe um, Paul made mention earlier there's still a minority in America that fear God, love God. And, um, but when I look at um, our government today, we are to pray for it, but I, I see no hope in it in the direction that, that we're going, which will all lead to things like public schools teaching transgenderism as young as five years old, um, food factories being destroyed on a weekly basis. Did you hear about the thousand cows that died in Kansas all in one day? Is it a thousand or is it 10,000? 10? 10? 10,000. How can 10,000 cows die in one day? By, manipul- by manipulating the weather. And that's another thing that's going on right now. Uh, do your homework on that. 10,000 cows don't die in one day. Uh, Because you have baby cows, you have big cows, you have old cows, you have young cows. And um, the farmers that are around the area are talking and saying, this is something not natural. What what caused these things to die? Um, We know that we are, Bible protects a one world government. My friends, we are seeing the signs preceding signs that are leading up to that right now. That's what the global reset is all about. We also are told that we're going to have a one world currency. Um, I'm reading reports on runs on on, on some of the banks in, um, or was it Germany? Um, no, China in um, Singapore or Shanghai, the largest city, 26 billion, they closed all the banks. So 26 million people couldn't go and withdraw any money from their bank. And they're rioting in the streets. That's gonna have a domino effect, I think, around the world. All right, at this point, some of you are thinking, Dwight, come on, man, it's the 4th of July weekend. We wanna go out and have brats tomorrow and enjoy our day and you're laying this heavy-duty Bible study on me. Why do it? Why do this stuff? 
Well, I'm going to tell you. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul was in Thessalonica for less than one month. And yet he taught them every major doctrine, including the things we're talking about this morning, and in particular, the rapture of the church and the tribulation. So imagine being one month in in the the Lord (laughs) and Paul giving you an in-depth Bible study on the book of Revelation, which is, um, Jesus called it a time that has never been and a time that will never, ever be again. But they had questions. So why do I speak about these issues and talk about, in particular, instances um, because I'm mandated to by the Lord himself. Guys, you can tell when it's going to rain. The sky is right over there tomorrow. How is it that you can know when it's going to rain tomorrow, but you don't know the signs of the times? Jesus is the one that's telling us to watch. Paul is telling us here, chapter 5, verse 1, but concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. Give them a break, Paul. They're only a month and a... <laughs> Old in the Lord. For you yourself know perfectly that the day of the Lord comes as a thief in the night. I think it's a progression. And I'm fully convinced that we're in that progression leading up to the departure. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that they should overtake you as a thief. Well, how come they're not in darkness? Because Paul was teaching them events that were going to take place and he expected them to know. He says, don't you know I was just with you? I explained all this to you. Have you forgotten it already? You are sons of the light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us what? Watch. Question is watch for what? Oh, Inflation, um, lawlessness, abiding, uh, looking for a one-world government, a one-world currency. And a simple question is, do we see any of those things happening in the world? All over the world, on a global scale. Those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and a helmet and a hope of salvation. Why? This is important, underline it. For God did not appoint us to wrath. Implication is there are some who are appointed unto wrath. But to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, scare one another to death with these words. Yes, tomorrow is the 4th of July. It's a heavy study. But what's the purpose of giving all this information out? God wants you to know he has a plan. It's called the rapture of the church. He's not appointed you to wrath. Therefore, comfort one another and edify one another just as you are doing. You cannot put your head in the sand and pretend these things aren't happening in the world. People are more open now to what's taking place at, and, um, as long as I've known the Lord and been talking about these things a lot. But now it's affecting people on a global scale. They don't have answers. You have the answers. Paul says, I just told you guys all about this stuff. How, how come? It was only a couple of weeks ago and you're writing me more information on it? No, this is a word of encouragement to be bold in this time. And know that you can be, and you don't have to um, be overburdened, overstressed. You can be comforted, because you're not going to go through any of it. But we're watching it, and we're watching it unfold, literally, right before our very eyes. Um, A little sidetrack here on this one. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 24. This was done in my notes this morning. I added it this morning. And it's the parable of the fig tree, Matthew 24, 32 to 35. 
In 32, it says, now learn the parable from the fig tree. When his branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the very door. What things? Wars, rumors of wars, pestilences, famines. And, um, <clears throat> but it's making a reference to a fig tree when it puts forth its leaves as an illustration that it's coming. Assuredly, I say unto you, this generation, a specific generation, will by no means pass away till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Pastor Chuck made a movie in 1973 called The Parable of the Fig Tree. And he equated the fig tree to Israel and it's regathering itself back to the land. And that's what the whole movie was about. Well, I've had many debate with many people who would come up and say, Dwight, how do you know for sure that the fig tree mentioned in the parable of the fig tree is about Israel? I love men's prayer because we stumble across the strangest things that, well, turn with me to the book of Hosea, it's right after the book of Daniel, which we just finished. Turn to chapter nine. What we do in men's prayer is we knocked out nine chapters yesterday as uh, we had a great turnout. I was surprised it had that many guys on the 4th of July weekend. But if you look at verse 10, it's it's talking about um, uh, the judgment that God is going to bring on Israel. And in verse 10 it says, I found Israel like grapes in the wilderness. I saw your fathers as the first fruits on the fig tree in its first season. We have a biblical reference to a fig tree being equated to Israel. And Jesus says when Israel begins to blossom, well, we were also um, reading right Before this, um, I better not get too sidetracked here. And and um, oh, what the heck? We're here. You got the whole day off tomorrow, right? Okay. All right. This comes from Hosea. Go to chapter five. This is very interesting to me. A lot of the newcomers at men's prayer had not been aware of this prophecy. I'm in chapter five and I'm looking at verse 15 and I wanna point out here that the book of Hosea is not written in a chronological order. And what we have in verse 15 was future to Hosea um, and I will read it. I, in verse 15, I will again, I will return again to my place. The I there is a reference to Jesus Christ. And if he's gonna return to his place, where was his place? Heaven. He says, I'm going to return to my place until they, Israel, acknowledge their offense. Your Bible might say sin. What I want to point out here is it's singular and not plural. Not sins, sin singular. What was Israel's sin? He says, I'm going to leave. I'm going to return to my place until you say, until they seek my face. Their sin was John 1 verse 11. He came unto his own and his own didn't receive him. In Luke 19, he said, oh, he wept. Only twice did Jesus weep. He said, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, if only you had known that this was your time. And now you didn't get it, and now you're not, what's going to happen is destruction is gonna come. There won't be one stone left upon the temple. Did that happen? Yeah, 38 years later, 70 AD. Has there been an Israel in the last 2,000 years? No. But this is where it gets interesting. I don't think there should be a chapter break between five and six. In their affliction, they will diligently seek me. So they're gonna be 
in some sort of situation where they're being afflicted. But then in verse six, it says, this is Israel speaking, come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn, he will heal us. He has stricken, he will bind us up. Well, this is them speaking, I believe in a place called Petra, where they come to the end of themselves and um, Jesus said, you're not gonna see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They repent and they call upon his name. And then it says, after two days, he will revive us. Well, doesn't the Bible teach one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as a day? After two days, he will revive us. Well, they haven't been on land since 70 AD. How many days ago is that? Roughly two. And then it says, on the third day, he will raise us up and we will live with him. Well, what happens after the great tribulation and the battle of Armageddon and Jesus comes back and restores planet Earth? The millennium. What does millennium mean? 1,000, the third day. Isn't this an interesting prophecy? It is to me because we're at the end of the second day and we're seeing what's gonna happen in the tribulation. But again, the good news is the Lord comes back, Matthew 25, separates the sheep from the goats. Uh, The sheep go into the millennium, Uh, many of them Jews, and the goats who took the mark of the beast go to hell. And um, that's all what unfolded. So part of this is past tense, would have been future for Hosea, but this right here in chapter six is future tense for us. It hasn't happened yet. We're not gonna be here uh, when this happens. All right. I didn't know if I should put that in my notes or not, but I did, so there it is. Let's go back to Galatians. Galatians 1. And we're past the perilous times. I want to go to point 2, which is Paul's timeline. And what we read here is basically his works and where he went. Again, he's establishing his credentials doctrinally. Verse 10 We'll read through verse 12 and down to, I'll make mention of it in verse 12. For I do not, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I still please men, I would not be a servant of Christ. Jesus said if the world loves you, um, the love of the Father isn't in you. But I have made known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but it came through the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now I'm gonna explain that in a little bit more detail on how that happened. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God beyond measure, and tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation, being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions of my father. But when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. In other words, he didn't go to Bible school. Even though he was taught under Gamaliel, which would have been Judaism. Nor did I go to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. Notice this, but I went to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went to Jerusalem. I'm gonna stop right there and uh, give you a brief outline of chapter one and two in Paul's journeys. It is a good way of summarizing it. <clears throat> All right, AD 36 um, in Acts chapter nine, um, Paul gets converted on the road to Damascus. When he gets to Damascus, he preaches in a synagogue and from there he goes into Arabia. He goes there for three years. Who was his teacher? We read here the Lord himself was his instructor for a three-year period 
of time, and then he returns to Damascus. Uh, and his first visit to Jerusalem three years after his conversion. I just want to stop here. And um, we have a policy at Calvary when people want to get involved and, and work and, and they want to do it right away. And I said, well, our policy here is you've got to be in a church for six months to find out if you like us and we find out if we like you. <laughs> and that'll take a little bit of time. Before we had an organization to go through an affiliation process to become a Calvary Chapel, the way Chuck would do it in the early Jesus movement days is before he would send a pastor out, he required that they sit under his teaching for three years. And if they would do that for three years, he would then ordain them and send them out. The disciples were with Jesus for how long? Three years. And how long was Paul in Arabia with Jesus? Three years. So I wanted to point that out. Then um, it goes on. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem, verse 18, to see Peter and remained with him for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, indeed, before God, I do not lie. So he goes to um, Jerusalem, and, but he only meets with Peter and James. And afterwards, I went into the regions of uh, Syria and Sicilia, and I was known by face to the church of Judah that were in Christ, but they were hearing only he who formerly persecutes us now preaches the faith which was once once he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in him. Now, in the meantime, I'm going to give you just some of the places where Paul went. After um, three years of going to Jerusalem, um, 80, 39, and 40, the rest of the Jewish churches, that's Acts 9, Paul preaches the gospel in Syria for a period of an uncertain length. During this time, he probably undergoes the chief part of the perils and sufferings which he recounts in 2 Corinthians 11. He is brought back from Tarsus. Remember Saul of Tarsus? Well, he was there for four years after um, uh, his conversion uh, to Antioch by Barnabas that he stayed there a year before the famine. AD 44, Paul's second visit to Jerusalem with the collection. Remember, he was asking in um, Corinthians and to take a collection for the poor um, believers down in Jerusalem. Well, who were these poor believers? They were the apostles. Uh, they, they were the ones the offering was for. Paul returns to Antioch uh, in Acts 12, Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas, he goes to Cyprus, Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, Derby. these would all be in Galatia, and brought through the same place to Antioch, and there remained a long time in Antioch. Paul's third visit to Jerusalem with Barnabas, and here we have it when you go to Galatians 2, verse 1, we read, then after 14 years, Paul visits Jerusalem 14 years after his conversion, Galatians 2, verse 1. They attend the council at Jerusalem. We studied this last week because it was the big debate. Do they have to be converted to Judaism in order to be saved? And um, Paul gets up and um, he said, look, I've been sent to the Gentiles. God has been blessed to work. Peter said, I've been sent to the circumcised, and that was his calling. And, um, um, well, I'll just sum this up here by saying Paul's third missionary journey, he departs from Antioch, and here Paul separates the disciples from the Jewish synagogue, and the epistle is to the Galatian is, is where it is risen. Uh, Paul 
eventually was put in prison in Rome. Actually had the privilege of seeing the place where they kept him. And he preached the gospel there. And um, uh, Paul was shipwrecked in Malta and eventually was martyred. Okay, let's... The reason I'm going through the timeline here is he's going to lay it out in the rest of this. So let's read verses 2 through 9. And I went up by revelation and communicated to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to those who were of reputation, lest by any means I might run or had run in vain. Yet not even Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. But this occurred because of false brethren secretly brought in who came in stealth to spy out our liberty which we have in Christ Jesus. That is the freedom of being saved by grace through faith so that they may not bring us into bondage. That means requiring to keep the law also. To whom we did not yield submission even for an hour that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. But for those who seem to be something, whatever they were, it makes no difference to me. God shows personal favor to no man. For those who seem to be something added nothing to me. But on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of, for the uncircumcised had been committed to me, as the gospel of the circumcision was committed to Peter, for he who worked effectively in Peter for, for the apostleship to the circumcised also worked effectively in me towards the Gentiles. Now the whole point he's making, doctrinally speaking, is that the Gentiles, and um, for that matter, uh, Jews also, are not under the law. It clearly says, if by works, then by works. If by grace, if by grace. But They're mutually exclusive. One cancels out the other. You can't have it both ways. And that's his argument here. And when James and Peter and John, who seem to be pillars, (laughs) I I like the word seem there, perceived the grace that had been given to me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship that we should go to the Gentiles and um, they to the circumcised. Now verse 10, our final point in our study this morning. And that is this last verse. But they had one thing in common that he's stressing in closing chapter two with. They desired only that we should remember the poor, the very thing which I also eager to do. I did talk to Bastia this week. Of course, you've heard about the 82 gangs that are scattered throughout Haiti. Uh, They've pretty much taken over Port-au-Prince. They're kidnapping and ransoming people, holding some of them for as much as a quarter of a million dollars. Uh, And talking with Bastia, it is so expensive for food right now in Haiti. Haitians don't have money, by the way very little, that what they were able to do for quite a while, like after the service this morning, if it would have been in carne, they would give people rice, and that kept them from starving to death. Bastia told me just this last week, we can't do it anymore. Everything is just too expensive. So um, to wind this up, I want to give you an update of what the church and a little bit of the history of the church uh, before I let you go. Calvary Chapel Carnet started with Betty Loderbauer, first girl from Calvary Chapel Appleton to go, our, to go to our Bible school. She came back. I went on a missionary trip in the early 90s to Haiti and um, got very much involved. Um, Betty moved down there, and she fell in love with Bastia. And um, in the meantime, um, I married them. 
Bastia moves up to the Technical Institute and is a part of Calvary Chapel of Appleton and he played bass for us for two years. Then he went to our Bible College in California and he met some of the people from there. His father dies. He's 48 years old and he lives in Carnet. He would travel. He'd get up at four o'clock in the morning, Bastia's dad, ride a bicycle <laughs> on these rural roads to Carnet. And the tradition is, if you have a father who's a pastor, by the way, he wasn't always a pastor, he used to be a witch doctor. And God gave a guy a dream in Port-au-Prince, saying, go to this house, there's a boy there that's sick, pray for him, we're gonna heal him. Guy goes to Bastia's house, knocks on the door, Bastia's dad, witch doctor, says, go away. He says, no, the Lord showed me in a dream, you have a son, right? And he's very sick, right? He says, I'm here to pray for him. Instantly healed, okay? So he goes from being a witch doctor <laughs> to a pastor. And one Sunday morning, after he had gone um, to, while Bastia is up here and in Bible school, uh, the pastor, his dad was getting ready to end the service. And he uh, walked out the front door fell over dead of a heart attack. So I'm hoping I get lucky this morning and get out of here. And now my point is, the tradition is, the son takes the father's, if he's a Christian, he takes that spot. Well, the church where Bastia's dad actually died outside of is a quarter of a mile away from the property that we have today. And it went from an open field, literally an open field, to, well, we have Calvary Chapel Carnet, which can hold about 300 people, maybe 400 people. We have a school that has uh, 500 students. Uh, We have our own radio station. And... um, the work that had been going on there is phenomenal to the point where they wanted to make Bastia mayor. Matter of fact, they did make him mayor, but it's so corrupt, he couldn't do it anymore. So, um, Betty died of that mosquito bite that had that was rampant. I can never remember the name of it. So I not only married him, but I buried... Uh, uh, Betty, down there. I want, I'm doing this on purpose. A lot of you don't know our history with Calvary Chapel Carnet. And if we're going to take a special offering right now, I can't tell you how many people they have helped in keeping them alive. And not only that, but more importantly, spiritually. We have our own restaurant down there. And um, we have our own market. We have our own medical clinic It's become a little community city all within itself. But right now, they're in dire straits. And um, um, I want to close up this morning with this last verse. One thing that we all agree on is to remember the poor. Can I get an amen on that? God has blessed some of you guys. And um, I wanted to take a moment and close the message this morning by saying, would you pray about giving a generous donation next week. We only do it in cases and situations like this. And um, um, the people in Carnet are not eating right now. And people are dying of famine, starvation. And um, I want to leave this on an up note, so let's leave it with a nice offering next week that we can send down in Jesus' name. And hopefully... Um, keep the clinic going and and the market going. And um, I guess that's a good place to close the study. What do you think? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we look into your word this morning in these three different topics about perilous times that we're living in and um, Paul's defense and the places that he went as he was uh, sent to the Gentiles. 
uh, defending the fact that you do not have to keep the law um, in order to be saved, but it's by grace through faith that we're born again. And you're the one that told us that we'll know the truth and the truth will set us free. Lord, help us not take for granted the many things that we have and how most of us are probably going to overeat tomorrow. And um, yet in the back of our minds, we're we're thinking about um, our brother, Bastia, and the church down in Carnay. And we pray for him, Lord, in closing. So as we make our way through Galatians, um, we thank you for your word. And uh, we pray you go before us the rest of this day. In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen.